1: Hi, and welcome to Third Waves. Third is a platform that amplifies underrepresented voices through print, events, and on the airwaves. We interrogate the intersections of culture and activism, bringing you interviews and discussions with guests who have knowledge and lived experience on the topic at hand. I am Daniela. I'm a writer, musician, and producer.
2: I am Tribe, DJ,
0: radio host, and music editor at Third. I am Rona, stylist, creative director and founder of Third.
2: Woke today and the sun was shining, I said, Mr. Sun, where have you been? On this episode, we'll be discussing the impact of the pandemic on the arts venues that have had to close during the lockdowns and what performers and creatives are doing to stay afloat. Talking to us about some of these issues is Max Golfer, who works for Hootenanny, the venue in Brixton, as a music and events manager. He is a working DJ under the alias of Fizzy Gillespie and runs the event brand and label Swing and Bass.
0: And before we start, we have some exciting news. As many of you know, Third Waves is part of Third's wider platform. And at the very core of this is our print magazine. We are in the very final stages of producing Issue 5, Defiant Beauty. But before we can bring this all to you and the rest of the world, we need your help. We are doing a pre-order crowdfunding campaign to raise 5k and help us go to print. Please head to Indiegogo, type in third and pre-order your issue. You can also find out more about the other amazing perks we're offering, one of which is to feature on this podcast. He told
2: me sorry dear I had to go away this song is called mr. Sun and in brackets miss the Sun uh, and it's by green T Pen um, amazing artist that's blowing up right now she kind of gives me the vibes of like Amy Winehouse crossed together with I, don't, I wouldn't even say Erica Badu, but like just all the chilled kind of summer vibes comes through in this song. And if you haven't checked out the videos, the visuals are amazing as well. So check it out. Green Tea Peng, Mr. Sun, in brackets, Mr. Sun. So obviously we've had almost a year of lockdowns, you know, with the venues and spaces opening and closing according to the pandemic and the numbers um, in the UK and around the world. Um, and although the pandemic has affected so many communities in so many ways, uh, whether that's personally or you know whether that's education and plans for the future, it has uh, affected sectors such as the music industry and venues and communities that would normally kind of get together and be creative. Uh, And the arts is definitely one of those um, sectors that relies on the meeting of people to um, engage in the arts, whether that's in person or um, through festivals and things like that. And so I thought it would be a good one to talk about today because it's so easily overlooked how so many artists and creatives haven't been really able to make a living in the way that they would normally have over the year. And unfortunately, so quite a lot, I haven't been able to gain access to some of the um, furlough schemes because, you know, they don't necessarily qualify. So I thought it would be good to kind of discuss that. I know me personally, I have definitely been impacted to some degree um, as a DJ, not be able to go to clubs and, and DJ and have my outlet like that. But I've been fortunate in many ways to do other things, but. I know that many of my friends in the community haven't had that chance to kind of do other things and and really kind of get by during the pandemic.
1: Yeah, Tribe, I have a question for you. As you say, you do many different things, but one of the things you do is DJing. Yeah, I just kind of wonder, like, you know, obviously now we've had three separate lo- lockdowns and there was a moment where things sort of opened up a bit and there's also more recently people have adapted more to doing more online things and I just wonder if you could tell us a bit how that looked like and how that's affected you in between these different lockdowns how has your djing activities um changed
2: what I thought was quite interesting was at first there was this huge momentum where everyone felt like You know, the party doesn't have to stop. We just will take it online. And there were so many parties online and it was amazing um, just engaging in um, nights where there'll be people from around the world who wouldn't necessarily be able to come to the venue in person. But now because of this virtual space that has been created, you know, I'm seeing people pop up while I DJ who's from Mexico and, you know, the US and um, the, the whole of the Caribbean. And it, it was really nice. But I do think um, somewhere just after the summer, there was a bit of a fatigue A Zoom and Google Hangouts and all of those platforms. Everyone just got tired of it, you know, especially, let's say, if you're working from home to go from one screen to another. Um, and the energy is not quite the same when it comes to there's something about festivals and live performances and you know um, DJing and nightclubs where you're around so many people and there's a bit of an energy that kind of goes around being around so many people. And it's not necessarily replicated when you're having those virtual sessions. So I definitely did feel the impact once we started to kind of get, in, get a bit um, tired of all those Zoom sessions and then there was that hope a little bit towards a December where things started opening up again and, you know, um, Boris Johnson was promising our Christmas and uh, I did get a few DJ gigs come through and I was absolutely excited. And I did kind of play a few places, Uh, even though they were socially distanced and the energy was different. It felt like um, that things were returning back to normal again, but obviously that did not happen uh, for long and it quickly closed. So it's, For me personally, it's been a bit of like a lot of false starts and a lot of hopes in different ways. Um, But it would be interesting to hear uh, you, Rona, how has it affected like the fashion industry? And especially we've just had a London Fashion Week just happen in February, I believe. And obviously under these conditions, something that would have been a moment to showcase talent in various ways, whether that's the models or the new designers, How, how have you observed that?
0: Yeah, I would say similar to you, I have seen a lot of like inventiveness in that. Obviously a lot of people haven't been able to do physical shows. So even the big brands have been using very creative means, you know, like video games, virtual reality, short movies and stuff like that to show their collections. So it's definitely like a different way of approaching things. But I think if I was to think about, maybe the process or what I could see the process has been like in the industry for people like creators, people like myself who are like fashion stylists and et cetera. I think the first lockdown, it was a complete and utter halt in everything because you were just like, what is this? And uh, what are we going to do? How are we going to overcome it? And I think similar to you online and the virtual world has definitely provided a sort of anchor in all of this you know, there's been obviously like a high dependency on online because of that. But I can't claim that I think the fashion industry has been impacted in the exact same way that I think people who work more physically within art and creative spaces have been affected. just because, you know, fundamentally, we still sell products As opposed to most of us. I mean, I sell a service, so maybe I'm conflicting myself there. But I think if you are an actor or you are a musician, I mean, even just someone who works in one of these venues, what you have had by now is a year of not really being able to do that kind of work. And I think it's really important that you've put out there, Tribe, that it's not only There's not only been a pressure felt on the level of that sort of connection you just have to people when you're allowed to do stuff in physical spaces, but I guess there's also like a mental toll that comes along with this sort of like not knowing and being promised stuff and having things retracted. And also, I guess the biggest thing for a lot of places has been the financial burden they've had to take on, which you know, now we have a date for opening up and we've been told in June, June the 21st, I think it is that we we might be able to go and party again. And I'm sure when everyone heard that news, like for me personally, I can say there was like this feeling of elation and it was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'll be able to do that. I'll be able to hang out with my friends. I'll be able to dance again in a club. But I'm also very aware of the fact that you know, things could change as they have. Also, it has, it will have been over a year by that time of a lot of places being closed. So there is a question of who actually has survived this period. So that takes a tiny bit of the jubilation away, I'd say.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I I do remember there was a period online where you're just seeing almost like a bit, obituaries for venues (laughs) that have closed and it was like heartbreaking you know some major ones in london that you know you would have memories with you know having nights there and stuff and that's going to affect the landscape whether that's jobs you know and um whether that's another space that people again would have their outlet
0: in the week on the weekends um, so, and I, I definitely remember over the summer seeing quite a few, basically seeing quite a few redundancies from cultural spaces, which we all love and look to as um, for our arts, our, our art, our entertainment, and etc. Just doing like mass redundancies. So, if, say at the Tate, for example, they got I think it was a one million bailout from the government. I could be wrong, but I know it would have taken like ten percent of. That to have covered some of the workers who they made redundant their salaries for the year, and and they just chose to go the the other way. I think the situation has been sorted now between those workers and the tape, but like there were massive protests that happened during the summer because of that. And similarly, you know, the South Bank Centre, which is another place which I believe got government funding, let go of over 300 members of its staff. And so, though I guess a lot of these recovery funds have attempted to lessen the blow, I think not all of them have necessarily saved the people who we actually see or we connect with these spaces, um, almost like the frontline representatives of them.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I think that's one of the things that has been, I guess, exposed when it comes to, um, I guess, the arts, in terms of like, I remember seeing some t- statistic about how much a pound would circulate from a live music venue, you know, in terms of like, whether that's someone buying a drink, but, or, or security, or the sound tech, or, you know, or the people who have the stage management. There's so much that goes into it that so many people are employed by. And as I mentioned earlier, not all of them would necessarily meet the criteria for furlough. And it's the same with DJing. It's very rare where you have contracts, you know, it's a lot of like pay as you go kind of service. So it's a shame because um the arts bring so much to the UK and yeah, and and bring so much value to the UK, but yet yeah, it's very hard to quantify. And so in moments like that it's very hard to really pinpoint how much we should be putting into making sure it survives and weather's the storm.
0: Mm. I think also, I don't know if you guys remember, but there was that really patronising campaign that the government did, I think, in the summer last year where it had the ballerina. I just remember the one with the ballerina and she's like tying up her laces and she's called Fatima. Um, and there was a lot going on with that campaign, image-wise anyway. But the whole message was like, you know, divert, like, I need to find the phrase, but it was literally like, if this isn't working for you, try a second second opportunity, like try a second, uh, a, try uh, tech or something. I think that was the message behind her campaign. And it was almost laughable because to a certain extent, it was just like, you obviously have no understanding to how like a lot of people in the arts actually work anyway, in that they would have multiple jobs um, just to sustain that main passion that that they want to one day make the main source of income. But yeah, it was just kind of a testimony to how little maybe we, like people or the government, if I just want to say it honestly, was thinking about how, what people actually need. And a lot of these people who maybe if they did have second employment, their other second job might be retail. And that could also be like a short term contract. And so it was all just messed up. And it's not like you go from that working in that space to suddenly one day, deciding you're going to be a coder. You know, the title behind the campaign with Fatima was Fatima's next job could be in cyber. She just doesn't know it yet. Rethink, reskill, reboot.
1: It almost like there's almost a part of me that's like it's maybe like well-intentioned but completely fucked up nonetheless mm. um and it's almost like also when boris johnson first the his first sort of addressed the public about the pandemic where he just came out and was just like oh i'm gonna level with you lots of your loved ones will die like that was one of the first things he said during the whole thing and it's like and and it's almost like an a very unfortunate confession of what the government thinks about the sector. This, on the one hand, is almost like semi-well-intentioned, but even with the ballerina, it's like, how long it takes dedication and years of training for someone to fucking become a ballerina? And tell them, yeah, why don't you just retrain? I don't know. I agree. Um, It's an interesting campaign, because all of, like, as you were talking about casting, like, all the people who feature in these posters... Or working in like uh, either like there's like a barista there's like a construction worker there's someone who's like stacking shelves and it's like this push towards I guess like coding slash like techie jobs but it just feels like it's ticking so many boxes, right? Like having the name Fatima next to someone who's like in the R's, a.k.a. like never going to make enough money to support themselves. And like this patronizing thing, yeah. And brackets is like, she just doesn't know it yet because she hasn't thought about it. And now we're going to like just give you this idea. And it's just, yeah, it's pretty patronizing. Actually, I've, I've just seen online, it's like some memes with like famous artists, like Wolfgang, as in like, and it's a picture of Mozart, like Wolfgang Mozart. And it's like, Wolfgang's next job is in cyber like imagine if we didn't have no it
0: also like I think a lot of people complained because it was just like Fatima is a very I've never met a ballerina called Fatima not to say she's not out there but if we're talking about most ballerinas out there yeah if you want to speak to the ballet community I think you chose the wrong casting and the wrong name so so what you really trying to say yeah, a lot of people were quite offended even just on that level. Yeah, I agree with you. Maybe it was well-intentioned, but yet again, a lot of people who work in these these spaces already have sometimes second yeah, jobs 100%.
2: to support it.
0: So. <laughs> mm, mm. It's true. Some people have uh, dedicated their whole lives
2: to put, uh, being a specialist in a particular art and then for something as random as a pandemic to kind of shut that all down and then for the government to say oh we think you should retrain it is quite a difficult pill to get your head around i'll never forget seeing like some amazing djs like halfway through the year posting pictures of them doing uber eats and deliveroo and stuff like that and i'm just like man you know uh yeah but it also speaks to the nature of like like i said in a lot of these industries, we don't have contracts. There's no unions. There's no things that really kind of supports people through moments like this. The next track is Shaylia, and the song's called Irrational. And this is a uh, pick-me-up vibe, and um, it's one to kind of play and dance around in your room. Uh, so definitely check it out. Shaylia, Leah, Irrational. Another thing that got exposed in terms of the arts as well is uh, Spotify. There was already a, a large conversation about the, the value of music, and, and this fits into the value of the arts anyway. But because Spotify pays, or their whole system pays artists so little, you know, it more and more increasingly, artists have relied on live music to get by and sustain themselves. And once that had all shut down, um, it really exposed how little we value music. And that's why there's a lot of conversation around that right now. So in some ways, I think it does bring up a lot of difficult conversations about how we have been um, valuing arts. But I do think a lot of these conversations are going to still go on unresolved, I guess, um, because of the way that the government... uh, has been handling it in some to some degree. But I do appreciate the fact that there is schemes out there, like the Arts Council and stuff, giving money. But you're right, Rona, I do believe um, there's a larger question to ask about where that money's going and how's it being used.
0: Yeah, like, just to reiterate, I obviously do think these schemes have been amazing. And I'm sure for a lot of spaces and places, that's been the thing that's allowed them to continue. It's just acknowledging the fact that a lot of people may have just been left at the margins
1: yeah and also let's not forget like in terms of where that funding goes you were talking about like the the specific institutions that the money goes to but in terms of the volume of of recipients i read on the bbc that you know the art fund which set up this emergency response fund um they were able to fund 15 percent of the applicants right and if anyone's ever filled out an application for the arts fund like the arts fund it's uh, like it's a huge application and only the people who are like extremely organized are, are the people who will be applying to that fund so we'll be coming from a background of like already having a certain level of experience okay maybe there's some people who just like you know put in an application willy-nilly but like I would just hazard like an uneducated guess that just from experience is a self-selected group of people who are like very already organized and of those people if only 15% of them are receiving the funding I just found that percentage very very telling of like how much money is available and goes to people who need it yeah and another thing that I came across in my research um, around this topic is One thing that was like quite interesting in the way that i kind of found it i'm just going to walk you through this but i came across this organization called um the international network of contemporary performance performing arts the ietm and um it's it's a network of over 500 performance arts organizations across the world right so that that encompasses theater dance circus performance blah, blah 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 and it's funded by it's co-funded by Creative Europe of the European Union. So, as institutions goes, this is the first time I ever heard about this. But as institution goes, it looks like quite epic. Um, and I first came across this like PDF that they did, which was like a survey of all of their members' response to the pandemic or to lockdown situations. Um, and there was one that was dated march 2020 so that would have been like early last year sometime and then there was another one in december 2020 and it's very interesting how the the sort of the takeaways in these two documents are different because obviously in march it was still very early days whereas by december like that whole year had passed sorry i'm really teasing this up but the the thing that really struck me is that like of the five takeaways that they put in the march document The first thing that comes through is supporting artists means rescuing the entire performing arts ecosystem. So it's almost like this desperate cry from the community of like, are you guys fucking kidding? This is fucked from the beginning. Like, it's not just because of the pandemic. We already knew the problems. There are so many problems. The pandemic is accentuating this, but it's not that these problems didn't exist in the first place. Um, Yeah, so I found that really interesting.
2: Um, Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it also speaks to the issues we've had even within London in terms of many venues being turned into housing and, and being closed anyway. You know, that's the whole reason why the mayor created the, the, was it the nightclub czar or something like that? So as you said, Daniela, there have been many issues with um, venues that have been ongoing and this whole pandemic has kind of exasperated it. Um, so I, but at the same time, I would like to think moving forward that it does provide a scope for us to really evaluate what needs to change and how we can do things different. And that's what I'm hoping partly some of this discussion coming up with Max will open up, but also on a wider scale in all the communities that are being affected and on the governmental level.
0: Sorry, Daniela, did you say that in October it was quite different?
1: Um, so the first document was dated in March, um, yeah. so only a few months into the year, last year. And then the second one is in December, so right at the end of the year. And the, the documents are not – yeah, the the size of the documents are really different. So like the last one, the, the December one, obviously, like people have, you know, done a lot more research and talked to a lot more people. And – yeah, what, this, what are the main takeaways in the March one? The main takeaways, supporting arts means rescuing the entire performance arts ecosystem. That's like point number one. Um, number two, performing arts are hit hard. Their international aspects are under particular pressure. Um, I guess that really ties in with touring as well, like international touring and stuff like this. Number three, the frozen link with audiences is, is as detrimental as economic losses. Number four, bottom-up solidarity is enormous and tangible. Number five, live component of performing arts must remain alive, even and especially today, um, which is, like, such a poignant line, I feel like, because at that point, we don't, like, in March, you know, it's still quite early days, so, but, like, that, I think people are already predicting the kind of if we just put everything onto digital or etc. is it's, like, that doesn't, that's not, yeah
2: part of it is the experience itself, and you can't recreate recreate that digitally. Um, another I think thing that's quite interesting about this pandemic is the fact that it is a global one. So it's not just um you know what's happening in this country, it's also like you said, touring and i I wonder I mean <laughs> considering that we've got one of the highest rates in the uk and other countries are getting back to normal, Maybe maybe by the time we get out, you know, we will be able to just roll right into just travelling and touring again. But it will, we will definitely have like all our, you know, our eyes open in terms of like how dependent we are on each other in order to kind of keep that kind of aspect of uh, the arts open. Because this is, you know, the arts isn't necessarily just what happens in the UK. It's, it's a conversation, um, interestingly
1: yeah that's something that really came through in that um those documents as well with and interestingly another point in it was saying that like um people need to talk to each other kind of globally and learn to like help each other and everything but one thing very important is that people are like these different countries are not in the same boat so um like this is in like we need to sail forwards and um, resist this inward looking tendency and strive for a next level of international conversation that is interlocal connecting our local realities across borders, um, which is just, yeah, basically exactly what you're saying. Um, but there was another line that I read in this, which I just find again, like very poignant, which is like, as you were asking Rona, the December document is much bigger. So I'm not like going to go through all of the takeaways from that. Um, but like one of the ones that I found really poignant was, like saying, um, while policymakers must support the change, it is up to us to conceive it, which is in a way quite empowering being like, you know, just kind of suggesting that the future is in our hands, like conceive of what this new world can look like and policymakers can support. And I, and I see where that's coming from, but yet, at the same time, it almost just feels like when you're in an abusive relationship, you have to come up with like how not to be abused and get that approved by the person who is abusing you
2: i mean on the other side um one of the things that i kind of find inspiring is that i guess in the late 80s early 90s when there was such a gap in clubbing venues and what appealed to the masses What many people did was just take to the fields and under bridges, and you know they had the was it the summer of '89 acid raves and all those kind of things. Like I feel like people find ways to make do and make things for the people I agree with them on that sentiment we're going to find ways so I don't think people are going to necessarily take it lying down whether it's the next 17 year old who's just about to turn 18 and he's like no you know no way or if it's a woman who's like a veteran who's been doing it like 40 odd years and she's like nah like I'm going to help out these people you know it's going to come from random places but I feel like it's going to bubble underground and, and it will have to be recognised above ground eventually
1: yeah
0: Didn't they say in China that when um, they first open up stores, there was like a revenge buying period? I really have a feeling that there's going to be like a revenge partying season that happens in the UK. Just because like with everyone I've spoken to, like it's literally just been like, I cannot wait to like dance, being a sweaty, all the things that you thought you hated about clubs, like the drinks on the floor and people's sticky bodies. Like I've never had such things described so beautifully and with so much yearning before in my life. And so I literally just think like, it's just going to like people, everyone's just going to become 18 again. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I do feel sorry for the 18 year olds who, you know, last year or would have been their freshest year or something like that. I do hope they do get some of that recovery time back and pay for it double. Um, and I agree. I agree would like to I know there was moments in our history I always refer to apparently do you know Charles the Second when he was coronated um like he had like wine flowing from the fountains and stuff like that and there was just loads of street street parties. I want it to be like epic level, like this butchery Just kinda of, you know where it starts off really tamed and then it just gets out of hand. Not that we smash things, but you know, we really explore or make up for lost time. I'm rooting for it.
1: Yeah, one can only hope.
2: <laughs>
1: You've been missing from the spot tonight. The simp, the
2: simp, the, sip, the sip, yeah. i be a little spot to flag.
0: Like, I'll to lie. I wanna be your girl, your girl, your girl, your girl.
1: you got a baby on the way